when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is March 10th, 2017, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio. We are not coming to you live today. We are coming to you from all over the world, from the West Coast, from the East Coast, from coasts you haven't even heard about before. Uh, I'm actually where Danielle and I are in Boston, and, and, and that's not normally where we're at, but we're here for PAX. Are you excited for we're PAX? We're doing the PAX thing! Yeah! I'm excited. I'm excited because we have a nice place. You may have seen, uh, we, had, we did a beautiful Cribs episode last night. And uh, you should you should watch that on the internet if you haven't already. If you haven't, you can find that on, on Twitter.com slash Waypoint or at Facebook.com slash Waypoint Vice. I really just do the whole tour of the entire, just everything. I kind of let you inside of, like, my own heart in some ways. It's kind of a very vulnerable take on Cribs, but uh, I think it's worth watching for, for me. Uh, yeah. But like I alluded to, we are also on the West Coast today because joining us is the newest member of Team Waypoint, Rob Zachney. Welcome, Rob. Yay. How's it going, everybody? So glad to have you here. Uh, obviously, you joined up last week, and I, I mentioned that on the Monday cast, but this is the first time that you're actually on Waypoint Radio, and, and I'm really thrilled to have you here. Uh, and I've been trying to figure something out, which is like, how do you bring someone on to Waypoint Radio? Do you just have like a regular episode <laughs> of the show where we talk about games we've been playing and stuff that's maybe happened in the industry or some deeper topics? Do we talk about politics? Do we talk about uh, who knows what? And then I realized it. we have the number one way to bring you in, to initiate you. We have the question bucket. Mm. And so because we're doing this over, over the internet in an Airbnb, and because we're not doing it live, I figure we're just going to do a, kind of a, a quick and dirty episode where uh, we just dig deep into that old question bucket and see uh, what's going on and, and give you the opportunity to speak your mind. So, so welcome, Rob. I think it's a full immersion baptism by question bucket. I think that's what what this is. It isn't just like a question bucket. It's like a it's a question font. Like exactly, exactly. So okay. I mean, I mean, first up for me before we even get into the bucket, I just want to know, Rob, like who are you? What? Why should people? What should people know about you? People who've never heard of you before, who haven't read your great work, or who haven't listened to your many really good podcasts. What an excitingly uh, terrifyingly existential question from uh, <laughs> Chief Austin Walker uh, to start things out. Uh, so. I've been a freelance writer about video games for years and years and years, and that's partly by choice and partly by uh, the fact that I graduated right as the entire economy melted down, Woo! Uh, you know, around, around 2008. Oh, good. And so this was kind of a job where, <laughs> for some reason, people paid me to write about video games, and I was able to make a survivable uh, living doing that, uh, which was a hell of a lot better than what I was doing before, which was uh, lugging beer kegs around a liquor store <laughs> warehouse. <laughs> Given the two options, this seemed the way to go. Uh, and I've sort of been freelancing ever since. And along the way, I sort of became a specialist in strategy games. And that interest led me to esports later. And uh, I wouldn't present myself as an esports expert because there are people who, like, you know, live and die by esports and, and breathe the stuff. But, uh, like, I fell in love with StarCraft, and that interest got me uh, immersed into a lot of different esports scenes. And somewhere in all of that, I started doing podcasts mm. and became addicted to them. To doing them or listening to them? Both. I've always been addicted to listening to them. One of the aforementioned terrible jobs I worked before doing this one, uh, my only window into a better life was the uh, Games for Windows uh, uh, radio. GFW Radio. Mm -hmm. Brodio. Yep. And so that was... You know, they, they were uh, they, they were kind of my window into what what life could be like outside of my my terrible little cubicle. So I was addicted to them as uh, as an audience member, but I developed this terrible habit when doing things like the dishes and such of starting to argue 
with the people on the podcast. <laughs> um, and they didn't argue back because they couldn't hear me. Uh, it was very much like the end of like Final Fantasy VIII, uh, where you're just sort of screaming <laughs> into the void. And Renoa just won't hear your trenchant <laughs> point about, uh, about Bioware RPGs. So Troy Goodfellow was running through his head, uh, which was a strategy podcast, and he was good enough to invite me on. Uh, and that was his first mistake. Uh, and once I'd infiltrated the, uh, you know, the confines that threw his head, I launched my bloody coup. And since then, I just haven't been able to stop podcasting. Uh, you know, the moment Waypoint started and you created a podcast, I was like, I must have it. I must join this podcast. Add it to the collection. Add it to the, the key yeah. ring of podcasts. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you know, like in my house, there's sort of a portrait of Dorian Gray type thing, okay. but it's like a dude covered in microphones and headsets and like mixing boards. It's, it's pretty grotesque, but it keeps oh. me... Keeps me young and fresh, and it lets you it lets you totally just podcast without any. You don't have a microphone right now. It's like all of the microphones you've ever used are on the portrait, so you can just do it extemporaneously with no equipment needed. Yeah, like I am, I am always ready. That to sounds podcast. that's I'm, that's part of why we hired you. You know, we figured it's actually true. It's it is. not even a lie. I think Rob is actually always ready to podcast. Pretty sure. And you know, for for my part, it, it was definitely listening to you with Three Moves Ahead, and then with Idle Weekend, and just like coming to know your voice as one that was not just credible, but like deeply critical and really self-reflective. Like I rarely hear you make a statement without also hearing you like understand that that statement is coming from a place and a time and could possibly require additional input from a different perspective. And that's, that's why you've always been a really great writer a really great podcaster, and why I'm so happy to have you on the team. So I think instead of lingering here, we should really dig deep into this question bucket and see what happens. So, so you know what, Rob? Here's what I'm going to need you to do. I need you to give me a number from one to, let's say, a hundred, and we'll start there. <laughs> 88. 88. That's definitive. That's a definitive... Oh, you knew right goal. away! Okay. Let's see. This one comes in from Andy. Okay. Hey, point weighers. I recently listened to the podcast where you expressed your desires to, quote, fall in love with a game, and it made me remember something that I'd, that I'd rather not. You see, I fell in love with a game called Dragon Age Inquisition whenever that game was released, and it uh. left me with a broken heart. I had so much fun running around with my virtual hunk of a husband, Iron Bull, and I wish the game would never nice. end. Slowly but surely, I felt that the game was nearing its end, and I dreaded it so much because I was in heaven. I didn't want to leave. When I finally completed the game, I felt like crap because it was over and I was heartbroken for quite some time afterwards. So my question for the Waypoint Relationship crew is, have you ever experienced something, quote, stupid like this? And if so, how do you protect yourself from un unhealthy crushes that will make you feel like crap afterwards? Love the show, Andy. So Rob, how about you? Have you ever had uh, a game crush? Uh, you know, uh, just kind of a deep feeling for a game that when you leave it, it, it stings. You know what? That's a great excuse for why I haven't finished The Witcher 3. Mm, uh, so yes. Let's, let's go with that one. Uh, but in terms of, like, a game where I knew even as I was playing it that this was, like, a special experience and I didn't want it to end, and I still get this feeling every time I play it, The Last Express, mm. which was a really revolutionary adventure game. For its time. It actually still is. It's a very, it's a very singular game. It's a real-time adventure game set on the last uh, trip of the Orient Express on the eve of World War I. And there's lots of spy drama and intrigue, but really what the game is about is just taking this trip with this train full of archetypes that sort of capture Europe at this explosive moment in its history. And uh, one of the devices this game employs is that your journey is tracked on a map. And so you can always go back to the main menu and you see uh, the, the bar of your journey sort of filling up as, you know, it's, it connects from like Paris to Strasbourg to, to Vienna. And so you can sort of get a sense for how much of the game is left and, and how much time you're going to have left with, with these characters. And about the halfway point, I was having such an extraordinary time with the game. And I was so utterly captivated by the characters and the story, and it was really provoking a lot of questions. Because I was young enough that, like, the things this game was was raising about politics mm -hmm. and what an empire looks like to the people inside of it and the people sort of on the receiving end of its power. This is happening just as World War One is about to kick off, right? That's the, the background to this, yeah. is the machinations of, of a number of 
international movers and shakers are coming to a head both in Europe and also on this train that's moving through Europe. Um, and it really engages with that stuff in a, in a really like straightforward way, but also in like kind of a gloriously cartoonish way. Yeah. You know, not many games can pull this off. Like every character is at once just an amazing stereotype. Uh, you know, there's your, there's your ghost German industrialist. Um, there's your, uh, snobby French conductors who just can't stop talking shit about the, uh, the other characters. Uh, there's the gorgeous and mysterious Balkan spy. Oh. And yet all these characters also like very convincingly human. Like every character has a little detail that you discover about them that like instantly complicates the picture and, and makes you feel some empathy for them. But halfway through this game, I started to realize like, this is going to end. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but the ending is going to be horrible. Like it's it's the eve of World War One. Like you already know this isn't going to have a happy end. Right. Like you can still kid yourself that maybe it'll work out for your main characters, but broadly speaking, like all these people are doomed. Right. Their order, their way of life, it's all doomed. And so about halfway through this game, like these relationships are going to end. This this magical time uh, in, inside this this confined space. Uh, was going to end. The real world was going to intrude. And also, I was not going to be able to play this game for the first time ever again. Right. And I sort of had this melancholy in advance. And I started doing things like walking through the train and just sort of taking it all in and listening to this conversation. You know what? what, Like, just before you leave a place, right? Just before you, like, leave a community of people, you start... Loving all of it, even the shit you didn't. Even the food court. That's like even the like. Yeah, totally. So that's where I was with this game, which is like doubly good because that's the thing with that game is that's you playing non-optimally because that's a game where the clock is always ticking, where walking around and just listening in and not interceding is is how you reach a dead end and then need to turn the clock back and rewind and go through that segment again. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was like counterproductive, but I, I couldn't help myself and. Then the way the game does eventually end is even more of a gut punch. Right. And I knew what I was getting into, but it still hit harder than I was expecting. And so it was kind of a crushing, um, I don't know, in some ways it was like, you know, I was only like 10 or 11. And it was the first time where I started to understand what like lost love would be like. Mm. You know what I mean? Like what losing something sort of irreplaceable would or could be like. I wouldn't know the experience firsthand for, for a while. But it was sort of a terrifying little preview of like... Oh, so sometimes things don't work out. Right. Oh, man. And you can see it coming. (sighs) Welcome to Waypoint. It's all melancholy here. Um, (laughs) For more, if you want more conversation, if you want more of Rob waxing poetic on on The Last Express, there was an incredible Three Moves Ahead episode, uh, episode 271 on The Last Express, which is Rob Zachney and Troy Goodfellow and and Idle Thumbs' own uh, Chris Remo uh, to talk about that. It's a fantastic episode, even though it's a strategy game podcast. I think you were doing a World War One like like um, yeah a series. It was the centennial, right? I think yeah, right. And so uh, really worth listening to. Danielle, how about you? Do you have a game that like when you wrapped it up, you stepped back and thought like, ah, oh, damn, like this stings to have left it behind. I had a lot of those feelings about the Mass Effect series for sure. Mm. Uh, maybe not as much in the wrap up of three because uh, I was already sort of primed for oh the ending. It it was it, I played it. You know, at the time, before the ending was patched and all the other whatever (laughs) shit. I actually thought the ending was fine, but it wasn't, you know, it was more the first and second game that really kind of got me and just had me utterly in love with that world and with the characters. And it was it was the first time I played Mass Effect 2 first. I loved it so much, I immediately went back and played 1 and then 2 again. Uh, It was kind of the first game where I could be like... I don't know, queer, awesome space person. <laughs> like, it was the very first time I could actually play that fantasy ever. Yeah. Uh, and that was so, so powerful for me that I was just like, oh my god, I can marry, not marry, but whatever. I can have this relationship with this amazing space lady, and I can be a cool space lady, and we can solve all the world's problems through diplomacy and Star Trek <laughs> style, but we can also have wild sex, and it'll be so great and so wonderful, and we can go to strip clubs. I mean, that was maybe not, like, the most uh, biggest selling point, but it was just really exciting to, like, be able to play out that fantasy that I 
never. And there's nothing wilder <laughs> than a Bioware sex scene. Oh boy! Oh baby! Oh, damn! Let me tell you, you might see a hand on a steamy, you know, window pane. Yep. Like, oh, you definitely will. Oh Your boy! Your torso looks very supportive. Very oh, variations with, with the pointy bras and everything. You know, like it's very. You know, the sex scene in in the third game uh, for uh, two women. Uh, is is amazing. They're like in the shower in bikinis. It is like Is that not that's not it's how great. Okay. It's, bi- it's kinda of, that's okay. not necessarily you know, I guess you could, you know, if you wanted to, you, you could have a cool bikini sex Maybe party. That was that's just... that's what queer women do, Austin. They, okay. they right. sex <laughs> that's what women do. And <laughs> you gotta get are those like uh, special? Do you have to go to a special store for the sex bikini or is that just they are. You have to go to the lesbian shower bikini store. Okay. That's where you go. The LSB. Yeah. The LSB store. Gotcha. The LSB. The LSBS. Exactly. LSB Depot. Okay. Yep. Yep. You Perfect. Got it. Good. Yeah. Alright, what, what about what about you? What about your your case of advanced regret? It's funny, like it, it for me it's actually you know the, the the Andy who wrote in said Dragon Age Inquisition and for me it, it's actually a game I didn't think I was very fond of until I wrapped it up, which was Dragon Age Origins. Um, a game that I oh. that I played over a holiday break. I feel like maybe the first holiday break after I went into grad school and um just completely devoured oh, it. And, you know what maybe it was what, what year was Origins? Was that um, was that 2010 or was that 2009? Oh, no. I, I always forget. So, okay, yeah, so actually, that, that makes it, that brings it into better perspective. It was before I went to grad school. It was literally after the economy fell apart for me also, Rob. And I had to move back in with my parents. Oh. And it was, I picked it up by, for myself, like, when it came out. It was around Christmas, and I was, like, working some retail jobs, but wasn't, like, feeling very fulfilled. And then just like one week completely devoured it, 80, 90 hours, did every side quest, did everything else. And then like the credits hit and it it left me feeling deeply unfulfilled. Um, partially because partially because I think the end of that game is actually really bad. I think that like the fight <laughs> against the big bad at the end of that game um, was I think there was like a, a scale to it that's really successful that um, at, at kind of suggesting that a big battle is happening. And there are stakes because you care about the world, but the antagonist is, I don't know, the antagonist is just, that series has had an antagonist problem until the DLC of Inquisition. It's the first time that there had ever been an antagonist that I think really works. Um, And the antagonist of Dragon Age Origins is especially bad because it's just kind of uh, a big evil dragon and there isn't really much... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, or like you know what I'm sorry you know what the problem actually is is that it climaxes early the the real antagonist is another is a human um, whose whose arc comes to an end and the denouement is just like kind of lackluster after that uh, but at the same time like there was just this feeling of like no I don't want to go away I want to stay in this space I want to keep going I want to keep going I want to keep going um, and I think the first time I've had something that feeling of like that twinge in my chest since then was definitely Gravity Rush 2, actually, where um, you wrap that game up and it does a thing. I'm not going to spoil the ending. I'm not going to spoil, like, the third act of that game or the final act of the game is wild. It just goes to a very strange place. But then it does the thing where the credit sequence is brilliant and you're kind of seeing the world in a post- ending space and you're kind of like check it does the kind of the jrpg thing of like oh we're going to check in on some of the characters from the game um huh. and then it ends on a question of it ends on a nearly answered question of a, a sort of like what happens to this character in the end and then it kind of like ends on the reverse shot of whether or not you see that character you know the the, the almost like oh, the graduate yeah. style like what's the truth like will they will things be okay in the end style like waiting for the airplane ding um or i guess that's actually that's that's say anything say anything is waiting for the airplane ding sitting in the back of the bus is the graduate uh very similar scene. slowly pulling yeah, out and like yeah, yeah, and like yeah. the look of resignation and like regret on their faces so good um, but the 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 thing that then happens is it reloads back to before the last act of the game. Not just the last mission, but the last act of the game. And so you're in this world that's like, okay, everyone's here. Everything's like, I can do all the side stuff, but no one knows what happens in the last act. And not having that post-game, I wanted to just be in that world again, having successfully won or whatever. And and like having that world, but I had this world before the characters 
had finished the thing. And so, like, for whatever reason, that left me feeling really sad. Like, I wanted to live in the in the world that was good and complete and safe and, like, feel feel like I was just with people. And instead, I can never go back to that place to where I'd completed my task. And instead, it would have to always be. And that's just, like, I couldn't get over that feeling. And so I just don't know that I'll ever... Pl- I loved that game, but I don't know that I'll ever play more of it unless there's some sort of post game DLC that I can jump to, um, which is strange, I know, but but I think that's it for me, for sure. Oh, man. All right, so, yeah. Danielle, have you been looking at the most recent questions, the top of the bucket? We're going to try to mix old and new here. Yeah, totally. I, I can see them. What about, like, 112? Oh, do you want to go? Okay, so you want to see, I was going to go to the top oh, of the Oh, do you want to go right at the top? You want to skim right off the someone top? Someone who sent something in today. That's what I'm oh, thinking. Oh, shit. Well, we got 125. We got 126. Okay, but those are still old. The ones the like the ones that are actually new have not even gotten into the. They're just. I'm, in... I'm going to my email then. Oh yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Exactly, exactly. All right. See, I was looking at the the cool notes. I understand. And, we, uh, we've been in the car all day. You, know? you have an email like matrix. We have a that you're drawing. <laughs> you have no idea. It's it's complex. And there's a hundred. It's 125 questions deep. It's way deeper than that. I mean, there's another. I, yeah. What the hell it's, kind of it's real deep. I mean, there's it. another. This is terrifying. You know? There's another probably 200 questions that need to get into this email bucket still. Uh, oh. So. Well, I got I got one from today. I got one from today. Uh, this is from Brian, Ooh. and uh, Brian says, subject line, question, Zelda question, which is okay. perfect. Uh-huh. Uh, and Brian writes, hey, Waypointers, one of the best things about Breath of the Wild is how it eschews, eschews, ah, I Bless always you. say that wrong, eschews, Bless you. the conventions, thank you, of recent previous entries in the series, or deconstructs them, as discussed on Idle Weekend, for many years, it has seemed like the success and popularity of Ocarina of Time has been holding back the series, as Nintendo feels the need to replicate Ocarina's structure in each new game. Breath of the Wild often gets compared to Zelda 1, but I think in many ways it's a fulfillment of what they wanted to do in Wind Waker. That game tried to be about a vast world of interesting corners to explore, but technical limitations meant that much of that vastness was an empty ocean, and historical convention meant that it still had uh, had to have traditional Ocarina-style progression structures, items, musical instruments, and dungeons. Now that Breath of the Wild has become so critically and commercially successful, I'm worried that it will simply become the new template that gets copied over and over. I can see a future where a new Breath of the Wild alike is churned out every three years until we all hate it, the way Assassin's Creed has sort of gone. What do you hope to see for the future of the Zelda franchise? What lessons should Nintendo be learning from its success, and which parts of the game should they move on from or make uh, make way for something new and different? Love the show. Brian. Oh, that's a good one. So, Rob, since you are the one who needs to step up to the mic and introduce yourself, what do you think? I know you haven't put much time or any time into Zelda yet. Is that oh, true? Oh, man. Uh, let me tell you about me and Zelda. Okay. Oh. Oh, yeah. I, I have not owned a Nintendo system since the SNES. <laughs> so, for me, basically, there's only Link to the Past. And then there's a bunch of fake Zeldas. Wow. Oh, boy. Fake Zeldas. Oh, you boy. You went hard. You could have gone any way. This is your introduction to people, yep. thousands of, tens of thousands of people who have no idea who you look, are. Look, I, can, I, I have one of two options. I can either own it, and I can either okay. like, wrap myself in my ignorance, and then somehow like jujitsu that into being a source of strength. <laughs> or I could just say, hey, Austin, I'm completely unqualified to answer this question because <laughs> I'm a PC gamer. Oh my god, that's worse. Don't do that Oh man. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Oh yeah, I'm winding, I'm winding up. Oh boy. <laughs> we hired a Patrick Danielle. We hired a PC gamer. Yeah, we sure did. No. We sure did. I I love I played. Has Nintendo considered just giving up on making their own consoles and releasing everything on PC? Oh, I think oh that would boy, be he's just oh you're boy. just trying to get the hate. So mail. many people just closed their podcast app and wrote us a letter. They just broke their so phones many and now they're going to write us a letter saying, "Hey." Give me a new phone. Fire that Rob guy. Uh, but you can speak to the more general point here, because I don't think that that is a specific thing, necessarily. No, I mean, having, having not played Breath of the Wild, and, and, like, the more you guys talk about it, the more interested I, I am in it. But it definitely seems to me like there's been a weird dynamic with the Zelda series that uh, I think is pretty spot on. It starts cropping up with Ocarina of Time, where half the audience seems to just want to recapture that game again and again and again. And 
the series can't help but fall short of it. Mm-hmm. But then the other half just want it to do something like to truly break from that past and stop even porting over so many of the elements of Ocarina of Time, the the, the recognizable constituent parts of of, of that game. Uh, so I, I think it's definitely. Anytime you have a game that looms so large over a series, it's probably a little bit unhealthy uh, because both for the creator and the audience, it's going to sort of interpose itself between you and the thing you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something Nintendo struggled with for ages, but it sounds like for some reason they were able to sort of move past it with this most recent. Yeah, I think they got a lot of new blood in creative yes. positions and that helped a lot of this with this particular game. I will I will say this for Brian. I do think Wind Waker actually does do a really good job of the vast world thing and I don't think the ocean is as empty as a lot of people make it out to be. I also love Wind Waker and Majora's Mask equally. They are my beautiful children and I love <laughs> them and they are the two Zelda games, three at least 3D Zelda games that have done the most with you know, kind of changing things up a little bit and making good, I think, on the sense of adventure and the sense of weirdness and possibility that exists in this, you know, what is essentially an adventure, well, I guess puzzle combat adventure flow state simulators. Uh (laughs) You can quote me on that one. There's there's a box quote right there. There's a succinct way of putting it. The question, though, is like, will, what about the rest of this thing? The the sort of like what Nintendo at their GDC uh, at their GDC con- not conference, but at their uh, talk, um, called the like the chemistry engine, where you know different materials react differently to different elements, and elements can react on elements, and you know all that stuff, or the the sort of um, the combat system that recalls things like Far Cry, um, like any sort of. We talk about emergent system, or emergent gameplay. We talk about interlocking systems. We talk about dy- dynamic combat stuff like that. Do you think that yeah. this is... You know, someone asked me a question on Twitter today, which was like, do you imagine that other designers are going to start pointing to Zelda, to Breath of the Wild, and saying, hey, publisher, we want to make a game that does something that Zelda did, and we want to move on it. We want to push it in this direction or push it in that direction. Do you see it worked for them? And that means that we should get the budget to do it for us. Do, do you imagine a world where that starts happening? Or do you think this is going to be the thing that... Or do you think this is going to be like the Nemesis system, which is like a, a thing from Shadow of Mordor that we thought would be everywhere by now and still hasn't happened again? Yeah, I mean, okay. I think, honestly, first of all, I'm not as worried about Nintendo kind of just making a bunch of copies of their own game because this shows a willingness to innovate. So mm-hmm. that's somewhat heartening. But in terms of other developers doing this, I don't know... I don't know if we're going to get a whole bunch of Zelda alikes, but I do. I can imagine a world where people are like, well, maybe not quite the scope of this, but this element, this the cooking is so cool, and maybe we'll make a, a game that, that uses the sort of cooking mechanics that actually is interesting and fun and has an element of discovery and an element of, you know, experimentation and, and sort of fun around that. Or maybe they'll do something with the combat in terms of you know, different, uh, the dynamics of combat that are kind of pulling more from Far Cry 2 than anything else. You know, the whole, well, you set that guy on, that guy on fire, and then there was a bomb over here, and then, but then this worked. Like, your story about convection especially was really, really fun with that. So I can totally see developers kind of cribbing a little bit of this, but I don't know if, you know, almost no one has made a competent Zelda clone. I can think of, like, five decent examples of that. And considering how yeah. long-running the series is and how successful it is, it's just not really a style that all that many folks have, have really tried to emulate. So I guess I'm not as worried about that. I'm I'm also not as worried when people take something that's really amazing and attempt to put their spin on it, because that's, that's where we get good games right. a lot of the time. I'm, you know, that's one of the things that, that I've been thinking about a lot here is a lot of what makes Breath of the Wild so great isn't just the dynamic combat, quote-unquote. Other games have done that before and have found niche audiences or have found good-sized audience, but, audiences but have not wound up the kind of, like, 10 out of 10 in Metacritic, huge, you know, right. uh, huge fandoms uh, springing out of nowhere who who are for the first time having uh, an itch they didn't know that they had scratched, where they're, you know, I had a friend message me today who, who you know, has played some Far Cry games and has, you know, played some Zelda games in the past, but it's never been like, she would never list that style of game as the number one favorite thing, telling me about how 
um, low on ammo uh, and on weapons, she planted uh, bombs near the where the kind of rack where the bacoblins kept their weapons and then purposefully oh, woke yeah. them up and then when they ran to get their weapons set the bombs off uh oh, killing most of so them good. and sending the rest of the weapons further away so they would have to go even further to get uh the weapons and it's like those sorts of stories come from this set of systems that interlock in a cool way and and but also um in a sort of visual language that communicates the possibility space really cleanly both through animation uh through art design through ui and that's something that I can see a lot of people missing when they try to replicate these design yeah. things. Like, part of it is just having the resources to have a, a level of presentation and a focus on style that lots of teams won't be able to do. And that doesn't mean that the games won't be good, but it means that they may not have that same reach that, that Breath of the Wild yeah. managed to to get. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. Like, I... I I'm. I really hope. I mean, that's the other thing. Is like selfishly, I like this style of game a lot, and have been under felt have felt underserved at least uh, by the market here. And so, if this encourages more people to do things that like are all about me coming up with ridiculous plans that fall apart, and then I'm scrambling to fix them, and then I get knocked off a mountain, and then you know one thing leads to another. Awesome, like cool, and I'll enjoy yeah. it for the next three years, and then maybe it'll get played out, and I'll find some other thing along the way to start rallying around, and that's just life. Like the old shit gets old, you know. The good stuff eventually becomes a little corny. There, there are <laughs> jokes I don't do on Twitter anymore, not because I don't think that they were funny when I said them, but because the second someone else starts quoting you your own jokes back, it's time to bury yeah. them and find new jokes. Um, there there it went, yeah. The, there's yeah. a line between good joke and catchphrase, and, like, you don't want to be the comedian with catchphrases. You want to be the comedian who has new material. So I, I think that that's how I treat my fandom of games, too, is, like, I'm going to rally around this until... I'm going to rally around this. I'll never forget what a great time I had with it. It's going to be one of those games that when I finally put it down, I feel really a deep melancholy for that it's gone, um, or that I won't have the first experience again, to, to talk to Rob's point before about Last Express. But I'm also going to, like, try to move on and find new stuff that excites me. So, all right, Rob. It's a good balance. Give me another yeah. number from 1 to 125 or 126. 72. 72. Have you been thinking about this? Have you been – you don't have access no, to this document. That's an important thing to know. It just know. popped in there. This is you earn access to the email document based on your performance here today. So, 72. <laughs> all right. Uh, this one comes in from Haratune. Who says, or Haratian, maybe, hey, I haven't had any time to listen to your podcast since I'm working full time and uh, and going to school. Uh, Do you have any tips or tricks for listening to podcasts while working and not getting distracted? Hope to hear an answer from you in a couple of years when I'm done with school. Thank you for writing in, (laughs) Haratian. Uh, so you're, you're, like you mentioned, you're a bit of a podcast fan, Rob. When, how do you fit that into your schedule? Do you do it while you work? Do you do it in between work? God, I can't do it while I work. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> I wish, right? Like, this is, yeah, so it was easy when I was working a crappy office job and wasn't invested in, the, in it all and had, like, it required no intellectual uh, effort whatsoever. Then I could listen to all the podcasts I wanted, but, like, if I'm trying to write, it's hard when I'm listening to music where the lyrics are particularly like catching. Yes. Um, oh yeah. And like you know, like writing hip hop generally don't go along uh, unless uh, <laughs> unless I just like crank it then to to a point where I'm just sort of like it becomes just like music, like you know what I mean, just like just like sound, but it, like I I don't it doesn't re- read as language anymore. Right. Uh, podcast though, it's like literally having other people like talking over you while you're trying to write so yeah that's just that's just a non-starter no my prime podcasting time is uh cleaning the house doing dishes uh cooking stuff like that like you know basically most most like domestic tasks are accompanied by podcasts uh how about you daniel mine mine is working out Mm. i i listen to the myths and legends podcast often uh when i'm doing workouts uh, I like hearing stories about folklore. That's just the thing I enjoy. Do you find that takes you out of your groove? Not when I'm doing particular types of workouts. So I, I have a, I mean, I'm a workout ridiculous. I just hit 20 years of not going. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, one day without working out as of March 1st, 2017. Got two decades here. Um, so I have, I have a whole slew of things. If I'm on my treadmill and I'm running and I'm running hills, I'm watching fights. I'm watching like UFC fights or jujitsu fights. Like I need something really intense. Uh, but if I'm doing abs, if I'm doing, uh, you know, sort of fairly basic lifting stuff, if I'm doing like a lot of pull-ups, push-ups, you know, uh, simple, small weight, uh, lifting, that's perfect podcast time. Cause it's kind of like a repetitive task in itself. It is almost like a, it feels a little bit like a menial task, even though I know obviously there's value in it. Um, just like doing a chore or something. So that works for me. But like, no, I mean, like if I'm fighting somebody or if I'm, I've got to do some serious, serious cardio, that's, we need, we need more intense stuff for that. Yeah. I can, I, I, for me, it ends up being, um, commute fodder. Uh, I have a pretty mm, intense commute yeah. that can go anywhere from like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how buses want to treat me that day. Um, and so yeah. it, it works there. Or if I'm just doing stuff that the only time that I can do it while at work is when I'm doing stuff like, um, like grinding through emails where I just have to do or the invoices, invoices, paperwork. Invoices are a great time for podcasts. Um, yeah. Very yeah. basic stuff. That's like not using the creative aspect of my brain in any, in any way, but it's still very important stuff yeah. to focus on. Um, so that's that probably it for me, I think. Uh yeah. All right, let's do at least let's do at least one more here. I, I'm gonna dig look closer to the top again here. Um I, I see this this question here has the word the Witcher three in it. So I'm gonna read this one here from, from Andres, uh who says, Hello Waypoint. For the past couple of weeks I've been thinking about The Witcher 3 and how I'm never going Ooh. to play it. I've owned and had the game installed <laughs> on my desktop for almost a year. I played the intro quest to this game five separate times, and after that, every other <laughs> month, I'd start it up, stare at the main menu, then turn it off. This has left me with the same oh, feeling no. I felt when I was 11 years old and attempted to read the Bible my parents had in their house. Frustrated <laughs> and lost. I've just... A worthy comparison. <laughs> oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> the greatest story ever told, right? That's... <laughs> uh, I've decided that The Witcher 3 just isn't for me and have moved on. Have you guys ever felt this way or similar? I appreciate the response and I'm a huge fan of everything you do. So yeah, what's something that you've bounced off of like, or you've, you've tried a billion times and just couldn't ever commit? God, I, I have this feeling about a lot of the Metal Gear Solid games. Ooh, like, yeah. just the, the, the amount of stuff. And like, I, I played a, a decent amount of 5 and enjoyed it. And I feel like 5 is probably... Maybe a bit on the more accessible side because it's it has a lot of other kind of stuff going on for sure. And I was able to enjoy stealth in the desert, you know, that sort of thing. But just in general, the weight of, of like, I what, 30 years of lore and being incredibly, incredibly, incredibly lore heavy and cinematic and knowing that I can't just do the thing where I can I can jump into The Witcher and play it for half an hour and feel like, oh, I got some time in there. I got some I, I enjoyed my time there with The Witcher. I can I can play for five minutes with, with Zelda Breath of the Wild. I can cook some stuff. I can you know, I can do things like that. I feel like I would need to set aside ten hours to feel like I made any kind of actual impact in, in maybe one of the in one of the Metal Gear Solid games that wasn't five and had at least a little bit of that open world structure. It's just so intimidating to me, like, that there is this much stuff to understand and, you know, get and be a part of to even feel like you've made any any kind of dent of progress in that. Yeah. How about you, mm. Rob? So, the problem is I'm very good at self-deception. <laughs> so, for me, there's nothing I'm really bounced off of. There's just things that sucked or <laughs> yep. things that I'm 100% in the process of interacting with and appreciating. And you'll get there. I just haven't gotten around yeah. to it. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so, you know, like a, a pretty clear example, I guess, would be, um, oh, shit. Okay. I do, I do have some examples. 
a lot of like classics of like the English lit canon. Mm. Uh, I just tend to oh, yeah. crash on takeoff. Uh, and I'll give you two examples. Uh, most of Joyce, sure. Um, just like, and, and the problem is like there are passages in Joyce that I think are some of my favorite in, in the English language. But like, if you sit me down with Dubliners, yeah, I'm never gonna make it to the dead. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> Because and and the problem is the dead is sort of caps off the entire like it's it's the capstone of the entire work like it sort of unifies the themes that have been told throughout all these short stories. The problem is I don't care about any of those, sh- those short stories. So you're like you're even committed. You even need to read them in the order as collected. You can't even let yourself just get to the dead. No, no. Like I mean, oh, I, look, I, look, I graduated college. I've read the dead. Right, right. You know, but but. But no, I, I haven't made it. Like when I, when I sit down to pick up Dubliners, I'm like, well, this time I'll start at the at, at the start of the collection, mm-hmm. and it never it, it never works out. The other the other case is um, so uh, T. S. Eliot, you feel like a genius when you're reading a Norton collected edition of like, <laughs> T. S. Eliot, and it's all annotated <laughs> to shit. Um, and, you know, all the references are sort of unpacked and explained, like, basically there's, like, half a, half a verse, and then the rest of the page is notes and footnotes about, like, what it's, <laughs> what it's referring to and all that, and you're like, oh, what a genius, and what a genius <laughs> I am for appreciating this work. Problem is, at one point, uh, on, on, on a whim, I bought a, uh, I, I, I bought four quartets, um, so that was, I was going to, like, I'm not, I, I enjoyed reading, uh, T.S. Eliot, so much in college, I'm just going to read, I'm going to read this. And some of it's really good, but the problem is, the edition I bought didn't have any annotations. Oh, no. And it turns out that if you don't have someone providing all the crib notes, T.S. Eliot is both obscure and nonsensical, and also makes you feel profoundly dumb. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so there, there are parts of it I was able to get. Uh, there were parts of it where I was like cracking my uh, my Greek English lexicon, and uh, you know, sort of sort of translating stuff, and then figuring out what it, what it was from. But I realized like I'm never going to read this stuff. Like outside the context of a classroom assignment, I'm never going to get into this guy's work because I just don't want to work all. I, I don't want to work this hard. I I totally understand. For me, like. I, the thing isn't that I don't want to work so hard to un I, to like unwrap a specific single work. It's like I it ends up being about like pure time investment for a thing that is really long or very vast. Yeah. So like if we can talk outside of games, like I feel like the discography of, of like Sufjan Stevens is someone who I like. All of my friends really like his works, and my my favorite musicians really like his work. He has too many albums, and I'm the sort of person who's like, well, I have to start from the beginning. I have to start from the beginning, and I have to listen to every album completely. I can't just go to the ones that people say are very good. I have to start from the beginning. Um, and similarly, I, there are things in games like that where, like, I've never beaten a Stalker game, and I would love mm. those games. I've gotten six hours, maybe, into uh, the first one, into into uh, Shadow of Chernobyl. Is that the first oh. one? Uh, um, yeah, Austin. I know. Let, let me tell you. I know. Let me tell you. Like <laughs> as as somebody with a deep appreciation and understanding of the Zelda series. Okay. Everything everything that you could possibly <laughs> enjoy about Breath of the Wild, I'm I am confident Stalker was doing well, like, the, probably better. I, I put I put like I said, I put four or five hours into the first Stalker game with the complete mod and without the complete mod. I played through that the first four or five hours both ways. I got to the city both times, the bar both times, and a bunch of stuff in the open world beforehand. Really loved it, and then just each time just like uh, but I could go play this instead. Um, and will I can't imagine ever find the time to really dig into it the way I'm supposed to or the way I would like to, um, which is a shame because I would love putting more time into those games. It just feels to some degree like the door has closed, which is not a great feeling to have. Mm, yeah, we're gonna a have terrible to, feeling. We're gonna have to fix that. I would love to. I would love to. But do I have to play the Assassin's Creed games? Because like, no. I have friends who are like, no, oh don't. man, I got so attached to Ezio. Like, that story pays off in so many ways. And so I've basically been frozen with the series. Are, uh, Play 2? And then maybe Black Flag? A little? Brotherhood's really good. You know, like, those are things I think 2 is pretty I good. I heard Brotherhood was good. You're right. I like Brotherhood I heard Syndicate was good, too. Listen, let me tell you about Syndicate. Oh, I heard good Assassin's things about that Creed Syndicate. Syndicate, you mean. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. It's, well, that's what we're talking about, right? Uh, well, okay. There's lots of Syndicates There's out there. There's lots of Syndicates I know, out there. I know. 
Rob, we have to play some snake. No, we do. Uh, and then the, the other big one, the biggest one, is probably competitive games in general. Um, fighting games, esports. Yeah. I've installed and uninstalled Dota, and I've installed and uninstalled um, Blizz- Blizzard All-Stars. What's that called? Wow. Wow. Blizzard All-Stars? Uh, Heroes of the Storm. Blizzard All-Stars? Yeah, Blizzard All-Stars. That's it. Heroes of the Storm. Wasn't it briefly called Blizzard All-Stars? Am I just making that up? It I was. I think you might just... No, be... it was, was formerly it? Blizzard Dota. That makes and me then really Blizzard, happy. And then Blizzard All-Stars. Right, Heroes of the Storm. It's late. We've been in a car for 30 hours today. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I have Heroes of the Storm installed on three computers right now. So, like, I know I should try it, but I just don't have the belief in myself to be able to comprehend it at a level that I could start enjoying it. So, I, that's also one for me, I think. And that's that's going to be my white whale for a long time. We'll see. We'll see. Oh boy. All right. Let's do oh one more. I've got a pretty good one, actually, from the recent pile. Oh, really? So you, you've gone into that part of the bucket. Which, which, one, which one are you looking at? It's the one about... Uh, us saying things suck that people like. Oh, like Tom Brady, like that one. Does that does it? Was Tom I mean, Brady the greatest in there? quarterback okay. who ever played the game? Who's the football? Who's the email from? Uh, Matthew Mills. This comes from Matthew Mills from Nova Scotia. Hey everyone at Waypoint, I hope you're doing well. I wanted to write in about something that's been on my mind for a while now and was reminded about in one of the most recent episodes of your podcast. I apologize for the length of this email, but this was rather difficult to put into words. During the plethora of discussions about Zelda going on in your podcast, as well as many other sources of games media, the topic of Twilight Princess being bad, quote-unquote, has come up dozens of times. Personally, that is my favorite Zelda, and the only one I've ever finished. In the same episode of your podcast, you caught out a couple of other things bad that I quite enjoy, one being the anime Sword, on- Sword Art Online, and the other being the book Ready Player One. Now, I'm not here to shout... Uh, out to the rooftops about how I believe these pieces of media are the greatest or how you're all wrong. You're not. After all, I'm sure you're just sharing your opinion. However, I noticed quite a few years ago that my favorite movies, books, etc. fall into the quote-unquote bad category so many of, my, uh, of so many of my peers and those I look up to. Every time this happens, when people say anime is bad, I begin to feel isolated. I start to ask myself, is there something wrong with me? Why did I like it when no one else I know does? Is there actually something wrong with the game? Is there some sort of discriminatory idea represented that I miss? Probably not, but I start to feel put down. After all, a large part of our identities come from the things we like and, and the things that we incorporate into our lives. While I respect and enjoy listening to your, your opinions and views on the state of games and the world at large, I can't help but feel a little bullied or trolled when an offhand comment about a game I liked sucking or being bad is uttered. I try to remind myself that you're probably only joking or at least simply being hyperbolic about your views, but I still can't help but wince. I realize this isn't exactly a question, but I wanted to share this view with you and see what you thought. Have you ever felt this way? Did you do something about it, or did you just brush it off and move on? Thanks so much for the great work you do. Despite the times that I die a little inside, <laughs> Matthew Mills oh, from Scotia. That's a, a fantastic question, and it's something that definitely has bugged me in the past as a listener to other things, where like someone says something, and then and then another podcaster is like, "Well, that sucks," and then moves on. So I definitely mea culpa yeah. for for doing that. That said, I, I also what I really wish we had was more time to go into those things, um, and maybe we could also do a better job of pausing each other and asking to uh, elucidate or expand on some of this stuff. You know, like. I can tell you why I think Ready Player One is not only a book I don't like, but is a book that is bad. It just requires 20 minutes um, that we yeah. often don't have. And that's like a difficult thing. And also it doesn't require us to dig into what we mean when we say bad versus a thing I don't like. Like, how are we talking about subjective taste? I, I guess another way for me to talk about those things is to say that I don't think that they succeed at, at this this or that. Or again, like the more precise we get is is the better the criticism is going to actually be or the more useful or productive it's going to be. Yeah, and also Twilight Princess is actually a really, really good 25-hour game. It's just right. inside a 50-hour game. Right. Like there's actually wonderful, wonderful stuff in there. And I hope uh, in, in times I've written about it and so on and so forth, like there's a lot of value there. And I think there's a lot of value in a lot of things that I – would call, you know, especially in the past when I've been a little more, I don't know, in- insensitive about this sort of stuff. Like, well, that sucks. Right. I-, I am trying at this point in my life to be like, you know what? Not for me, <laughs> but go with God, my friend. <laughs> like, you know, like if you if it makes you happy, if you get joy from it, and this is not a thing that is like, you know, I, w- I would reserve the, is it actively making people act in a shitty way or, or, you know, really punching down at people kind of thing. In that case, I would be like, no, you know what? Maybe it sucks a little right. bit. But, like, if, if something is is not harming people and is a, a fun and happy pursuit, like, you know, you, you do you. 
you know what you enjoy yeah and it's and it's fine to enjoy things it's fine to it's fine to love things that other people look down on like i i have many places in my heart we've talked about this many times on idle weekend but there's a show that i truly love it's called lost girl and it is the trashiest <laughs> fucking trash ever put to television and i adore it and it's made with like you know a two dollar budget it's a it's a goofy sexy like supernatural series made with no money whatsoever and it's it's wonderful and I love it, but I can completely understand why 99% of people on Earth would look at that and just laugh their asses off. Like, I get it. I get it. And I think we all have stuff like that, right? Totally. Even if it's not even what you would call a guilty pleasure. I wouldn't call that a guilty pleasure at all. I just love it. Like, I don't even, I don't, I don't feel guilt. It's great. <laughs> you know, like, in my opinion. So, yeah. I think, I think that's worth saying, too. Like, it, it's okay to let to like things it's okay, and it's okay to, to like, to like things that other people don't i i, I do yeah uh, it's so tough because sometimes the issues it's it's tough in this instance because of how i feel strongly about both ready player one and sword art online as sure, um sure. to the degree that i want to be able to talk to this person and explain why i don't like them um because my i don't want to come across as just having disregard for them but i also like I have a good friend from college who I basically never talked to anymore because the thing we bonded over was being elitist assholes, right? Was liking <laughs> was like liking movies from directors that most of our peers didn't know and liking music from artists who hadn't released anything in 15 years and liking, you know, uh, books that were really hard to read. And I was just like the worst. Like from 19 till 24, I was the worst person to be around. Um, and, and when I hang out with that person now, he immediately drops right back into that, into that, like, bit of, of like, the, that exact mode of oh. being, and, like, it's instantly just dunking on everyone we know. And, like, no, I don't, I'm not gonna laugh at this person who liked the Avengers 3 or whatever. Like, I know I don't like it. I know I'm not going to enjoy it. I know that I'm really frustrated in Rise of Ultron when Tony Stark like the the way to beat Ultron is just to make another better Ultron and like that says nothing yeah. about about like the the core conflict that like maybe American arms manufacturing and the belief in startup culture isn't the way to go and like I I ha like but also I'm not going to dunk on my other friend who really had a good time at at Rise of Ultron if that's even the name of the movie I forget um yeah, Ultron something. Definitely Ultron. Def Ultron was that guy was there. That guy was definitely there. Uh, <laughs> with James Spader, who was pretty good, frankly. Well, he's sort of been playing that like he didn't have to reach real far. No, he's just he's just playing his blacklist character. He was there. But what if he was a robot? So yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I definitely like the blacklist was definitely a thing that I watched a bunch of, started to dislike, but would never like make fun of somebody for liking, and, and so. I think mm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I get the jo I get the joy no, from I that have sort questions, of questions, Austin. I would have questions, but those are different questions for me than like someone who is going to go to bat for this moment of like transphobia in the Legend of Zelda: Breath right. of the Wild, or for someone who's going to go That's to bat where comes in. for the jingoism yeah. of of Ghost Recon Wildlands, who isn't just saying I know about these issues and I still like it, who isn't just saying like Yeah, I know that Ready Player One. Is, uh, is mostly driven by a sort of empty nostalgia and that it has, like, some really shitty gender politics and it has, like, some issues with, like, friend-zoning in a weird way and re the reduction of relationships yeah. to being almost, uh, like, currency exchange. And I know that it's just this kind of empty male power fantasy, but I really love what it does with its world-building. Like, I'm okay with that. But the thing that's really tough for me is is when when given those criticisms... Someone just says, like, no, you're wrong, it's just good. And that's, like, the opposite of this thing. And so what I should be better about is giving those specific critiques, um, which then would demand specific responses, even if that's just, like, yeah, I know, but, like, cool fucking laser swords, man. Like, and, like, yeah, you're right, cool fucking laser swords. Like Those are cool lasers. Ready Player One yeah. does have that shit with, like, all of the, the, the way people live in the future is one trailer stacked on top of another trailer forever, and that's a really cool image. You're totally right. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah. I think we need to, all of us, get better at both explaining why we like things and also maybe why we don't, or not worry about it. Like, I don't know. I think worrying about it is probably productive. Yeah, I think worrying about it is productive. It's just a, a question of... of 
there certainly is a, a massive amount of this that is just what is what is the purpose and point of entertainment in a person's yeah. life? Is it uh, is it going to that point of like self identifying as a type of person because of the entertainment they're watching, or is it kind of like this is the thing? That I do to chill out. Like, I think there's also that aspect of it as well but, that, that but, kind of but plays you, into you. As an audience member, you have to own that. Like, yeah. you, like and, this is, and, and this is, I guess, where I, where I come down on this is it's okay to, like, when, 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 when I hear somebody bagging on something that I love um, and... I'm trying to think of if there's stuff that like I, I really adore that I that I know I'm completely out there on. Like I, I consume a lot of crap media, uh, definitely. <laughs> I'm fully aware that a lot of CW shows inevitably shark. jump the shark probably a lot sooner than I than I finish watching them. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I still I still keep going. But and let's not even get started on my weird crusade around Kane and Lynch. Uh, and, and giving that the place it deserves in the critical discourse. But I think when I hear people really just really just going hammering tongs on uh, on something I love, after that initial sort of like revulsion, right? The sort of like the shock of like, you know, having your tastes almost slapped. Like usually my response after that is to try to figure out where they're coming from. Right. And if I can see it, then I can start to unpack, well, okay, did I just miss this stuff? Like, was was I just so naive I, I missed that, like, fundamentally this thing that I thought was good actually is, is pretty disastrously flawed? Or was I responding to other qualities that maybe its critics aren't adequately appreciating? <laughs> and I think your your enjoyment of this stuff sometimes hearing these critiques you're going to go cold go cold on stuff there's a lot of genre sci-fi that i loved as a kid that i cannot get back into i read between the ages of like 10 and 19 i must have read every michael stackpole book <laughs> two or three times oh yeah uh rogue squadron battletech yep. all that shit loved oh, it to yeah. pieces and it was like somebody flipped a switch I went back and I reread some of that stuff like in my mid twenties and it was almost paint by numbers like genre fiction. And it was it became kind of a dead thing. It was kind of heartbreaking to me. Well we've talked on three moves ahead. Uh, but this this by the way, it doesn't happen with Aaron Austin's uh Raid Squadron books, <laughs> by the way. Just just, just one side there. Yeah. Those hold up. You know, I, I mentioned uh when when I was on an episode of Three Moves Ahead a while ago, like this was the four X for me, where like I grew up playing 4X strategy games, and then somewhere in my late teens, early 20s, I lost my taste for conquering things in strategy Hmm. games. And, like, don't begrudge people who still put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into Civ. Don't judge them for it. But, like, the notion of of I'm going to, to expand, exploit... Uh, exterminate and the one that I've explore, explore I'm still into, but those other <laughs> the ones, nice the nice one, one um, yeah. But like those, <laughs> those things f- fail to flip the switch. It's not that they fail to flip the switch; it's that my like misgivings about the notion of a world primed for capture, that like that so many 4X games are built on that concept that like, okay, well, we all started at the same time and it was just a race to see who could go get the best stuff. Um, it sits really poorly with me. And if I feel like I'm being hyperbolic here, you should go look at the Three Moves Ahead episode where we dig deep into this stuff. Um, <laughs> the, the 4X malaise. Yeah, the 4X uh, malaise episode. episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, featuring quotes from Werner Herzog. True, true. Uh, that is true. Werner Herzog does excellent. make an appearance. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, but some of the stuff though, you're going to hear all these critiques, and you're going to also realize that there's still shit there that you love, and you just fundamentally, on some level, don't care because you see what you love, you know it's there, and you can still appreciate it. And then I think that's that's a good thing too. Like it's perfectly fine being aware. Like I think everyone tends to overuse, and I'm guilty of this as well, to so overuse the expression, like, guilty pleasure, right? That, like, oh, I have this thing I enjoy, but, like, I'm ashamed of it and I know I shouldn't. No, actually, I think what, like, we mean by guilty pleasure a lot of times is you're aware of its shortcomings. You're aware of the places where it's sort of half-assing uh, its approach to more difficult concepts. 
but it is paying off on some like primal fundamental levels that you just don't give a damn and you're going to celebrate like and that's not an easy thing like doing good genre work doing it's stuff tough. that just yeah 100% there's this great interview uh that Glixel had uh I think with Rob Davio, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, Disclosure is a personal friend, uh, but he's a board game designer, designed the uh, designed Risk Legacy and, and Pandemic uh, Legacy. Mm. Um, most of this interview centers around his work, working at Hasbro, right. on family party games. And what's fascinating, reading that interview, is you, you might think that, like, Oh, this is the story of like oh all those all those shitty wasted years where he's working on these crappy family party games and his his art his opus is still out there but he's not allowed to do it. And what I love about this interview is he he has this real respect for games like that for for things that deliver these simple pleasures that may not work for you if you're you know a euro game connoisseur or something like that. But <laughs> it's still hard to make a game that's going to work. With the yeah. family gathered around the table, with an audience of sixty-five down to eight, yeah, right? And you have to respecting that craft and understanding it makes you better across the board. Mm-hmm. And I think something similar is happening with uh, you know this sort of media. When there's there's a lot of stuff that is satisfying, but it's it's naive or or it's immature. Uh, but some of it does hold up in spite of those flaws, and it's it's worth. It's, it's, it's valuable to understand why that holds up. The, the one thing I do want to add here is you know, part of what the, the emailer uh, who wrote in said was, you know, attacks on the media I like sometimes can feel like an attack on me because I identify with this stuff. Um, and I have been in that place so, so clearly. Like, that's me at... 13, 14 through 25 feeling bad anytime anyone said yeah. anime was bad or anytime anyone said said a rapper I liked was bad or anytime anyone said uh, a movie I like it's it's forever it's anytime somebody said that D&D was bad when I was deep into D&D and I, I understand that relationship now maybe because I'm a little bit more removed from it or I think really the thing that ended up happening for me is Eventually, my love was dispersed uh, across enough things that even if I still identified with them, there was always some other thing that I could hold my you know, hang my hat on, um, and that because I was I, I wasn't so invested in a single thing, the punches don't sting as much. Um, and and you know, along the way, I ended up being invested instead of being invested in a specific thing, I be I became invested in a, a style or a, a mode of of uh, enjoyment or a mode of expression or a, uh, not just a, a specific thing, but a genre, not stuff, not just a genre, but a, but a, a broader tone. Um, it's not just that I like magical. It's not just like, it's not just that I like Murakami. It's that I like magical realism. It's not just that I like um, Satoshi Kon. It's that I like, it's that I like anime more broadly. Um, and so when someone attacks, you know, when someone says like, Oh, paranoia agent is really pretentious. Like okay, like fuck off. Who cares? I I also like you know I don't only like Satoshi Kone. I don't only like Paranoia Agent. In fact, even inside of Kone's own work, I can point to other things that are maybe less pretentious or that are less psychological and can still like revere him as a creator and not feel like I have to come to his defense every time. Um, and I think that that's a thing that partially has to do with age and experience, um, and then partially has to do with really putting forward the effort to find ways to identify and value yourself and not only your relationship with media and, and consumer goods, you know, um, I I used to also identify with the shoes I had and with the, you know, with like making sure that I had cool shit. And like, I'm not saying that I don't still want cool shit, but like, I'm not going to get into a fist fight because someone insulted my sneakers anymore. I'm not that kid. Like (laughs) I was that kid once and I don't have to be that kid anymore. Um, so I think that's that's the the other end of the like yes have a have as Rob said like a really healthy relationship with the stuff that you love and like don't feel guilty about liking things that other people don't like as long as you're engaged with it but then also like let yourself have some distance from the things that you love and understand that you're valuable in and of yourself separate from what anybody thinks about the anime you watch or the music you listen to um, I think that's for me the way the way I got to be a little more. Um, 
a little less defensive about the things I love. I'm nodding furiously. You can't see it because this is an audio podcast, right. but I am nodding right along. And we are not I live agree. streaming. I think that might do it for us. Nope. We went a little I longer know, yeah. than I thought. Uh, so we're all nodding along here. If you have questions, yep. if you want your questions to get into the question bucket and, and to be read here on Waypoint Radio, you should send them to gamingadvice.com. Use the subject questions. You can put some other words in there if you want, but that's that's how it'll get into the questions label where we'll see it. Uh, <laughs> so that, that would help. Um, Rob, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at twitter.com slash Rob Zachney. An easy one. Yeah. But what about you, Danielle? You can find me at Danielle R.I. And, and I'll just say this. I think, I think Rob did well, and I think he can keep his job. Yeah, hey, I'm all for it. I think, yeah. I think you could stay on. Yep. I'll even give you access to the I'm, deep. I'm, I'm really sorry about the Ninten- Nintendo thing, guys. Well, we'll, we'll, I'm super sorry. <laughs> we'll cut it. Tim, don't cut it. Don't cut it at all. Leave it in. Tim, keep Tim, it in. Keep it in. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. You can find everything that Waypoint does at waypoint.vice.com, at bazinga.zone, at digitalpyramids.com, at new.donk.city, at waypoint.dog.arf. Or it might be waypoint.arf.dog. I can't ever oh, man. recall. It's one or the other. Um, I, it's a good one. I believe there's a Poplio one in there. You can find us on Twitter at oh, twitter.com slash waypoint, Facebook at facebook.com slash waypointvice, youtube.com slash waypointvice. Please, if you liked the show, send us a note, but also go to your iTunes or your Google Play or whatever other podcast uh, uh, server that you get this from and, and give us a, a rating. We'd really appreciate that. And as always, I would like to thank our, our great friend, uh, our, our great musician friend, Bowen. <laughs> Uh, who provided the theme to our, to our show. Miss you off of the EP Pale Machine. You can find out more info about Bowen at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. We will catch you after PAX. If you're at PAX, like, let us know. Maybe we'll we'll see you. We're doing a couple panels. Um, Danielle, what panel? What, what are you up to? I'm going to be on 404 in it, breaking down the internet, uh, Friday at 7.30. And I'm also going to be part of the wonderful lunacy that is Paxomania on Saturday. That's Saturday afternoon sometime? Saturday afternoon, yeah. I think it's at 4 p.m. That sounds right. I believe. Um, yeah. And then, I'll and then be around. You'll I, see things. You may have already <laughs> missed this, but I'm in a panel tomorrow, or I'm in a panel today, Friday, uh, Friday the, the 10th, from 1 to 2, called Does the Author's Intent Matter in Video Games, along with some great people, Ooh. including uh, Alexander Van Chestine, uh, Catherine Cross, and Tanya X. Short. So, really great. Uh, really looking forward to doing that panel. But this might go up after that's already already uh, happened. In which case, you did great, well, Austin. I bet it was it was awesome. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. You really killed the author. I'm going to really talk about Barth. I'm going to talk about algorithms oh, and good. labor. Those are my notes. Good old buddy Roland. Roland Barth. Uh, <laughs> my notes say, my, my notes include this great joke, original concept of Dota, and then I have in parentheses, death of the author. Because I'm oh, incredibly god. clever. Oh god! Oh, it's so good. I'm gonna see if that, I'm gonna see if that maybe that'll it. kill, maybe it won't. We'll see. I, you know, new material. I didn't have a chance to like go to go through Boston oh. comedy clubs and see if this stuff will play, but uh, we'll find out tomorrow. You can spin that chair right around and be like, "Hey, kids, yeah, have you heard of the original uh, Dota? <laughs> Death of the Author." <laughs> God. God. Uh, let me tell you about the uh, the first instance of jungling. <laughs> Let me tell you about post-colonialism. <laughs> All right, uh, that's going to do it for us this week at Waypoint. Thank you again for, for tuning in, and, and check us out on Monday when we'll be back to our old shenanigans coming to you live from Brooklyn. It sounds like our studio is done, so you'll have to tune in and see if that's true. Until then, peace. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.